Christmas Eve. Do you remember what I asked you to do? What did I ask you to do? Write on your yellow card. And what were you to write? What you wanted to receive. And what you wanted to give. Because Christmas was about receiving and giving. And we wanted you to understand that God wants you to receive from him. Because he's giving to you. But then what are you willing to give to him? And remember I told you, put it someplace where you can what? Remind yourself. So what I did with mine, I kind of taped it on the inside of my Bible that I can remember it once a month or so to glance at it and to gauge myself. And again, mine was what I wanted to receive from the Lord was knowledge and wisdom. That he give more knowledge, more wisdom. What I wanted to give to the Lord, that I would be more like Jesus. That I would be more like Jesus. And I think if you don't make certain statements in your life, or about your life, you're not going to do anything but just go through life. The statements help give direction. Statements help clarify. Statements help you to look back at yourself and ask the question, am I moving forward? Tell me where this comes from. I'm going to read something to you. Tell me where it comes from. We hold these truths to be self-evidence that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Where does that come from? Declaration of Independence. It's a declaration that is being stated. But the whole Constitution is based on that statement. I'm reading uh, Keeping Faith with the Constitution. And the complete Constitution is based on that statement that is made. Now, when you look in the scriptures, you see that there were statements made as such, or declarations made. For Joshua, his declaration, many of you know it, as for me and my house, we will what? Yeah. And then he lived it out. He lived it out. That's his declaration for him and his house. Paul made quite a few during different seasons of life. One Paul made is simply this. For me to live is what? It's Christ. And then what? Demonstrated that and lived it out. Another one that Paul makes in the declaration type of sin, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. And then you see him living it out. It's important that you and I make some type of statement 
about ourselves in the first part of the year. If not, you just pick up wherever you were at at the end of 16, and guess what you do? And there's nothing up here that's going to challenge you. That's going to challenge you. John and his, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was what? God. And he believed that. He believed that. Don't lose sight of it. Don't lose sight of it. What you declare about yourself will cause you to run after it. To desire it. And when you will not value yourself or make declarations of yourself for yourself, you accept anything in life. You don't want to lose sight of what you are saying that you want to accomplish or you want to do in 2017. Look at the declaration that David makes. And we're going to do that. And, and again, David makes quite a few, but I want to look at one of the ones I think is the most important for David. And then I want to look at the eight things real quickly of what he says that follows that statement. Then we're going to go from Psalms 18 over to Psalms 137. And we're going to look a little bit of what happens when you lose sight of meaningfulness in your life in the person of Jesus Christ or God. And a lot of us run through this life or go through this life. We have the head knowledge of God, but oftentimes we lose the heart. We lose the fireness. We lose the excitement. We lose the real love for him. We lose the willingness to serve him because so many things in life begin to crowd us and they take the place of us serving our God. And we just assume because in my mind I'm saying, I know Jesus, I'm saved, I'm loved, and I know I love him, but I show really no effort or anything outside of that that really demonstrates that I love him. I have the head knowledge. And what I do unconsciously is this. I make him more or less the servant and I become the king or the master. And oftentimes we're not aware of it but that takes place. And you can see it in the lives of people because their life is not really centered around the person of Jesus Christ or his church or his work. Life is centered around survival. Life is centered around me. Life is centered around 
the things that I place as important rather than the things of God that are important. In Psalms 18.1, David makes quite a statement. And this declaration ought to be something that you ought to say to yourself, remind yourself of, but then ask yourself, what are the evidence in your life that backs the statement? What's the evidence? What is it that's really revealing in your life that reveals that the declaration that you've made is meaningful to you and not just some words in the air? Just not some crochet that you're saying. See, I can tell Elaine, I love her, but if there's nothing on the table that really proves that or shows that it is real, then those are just words. If there's nothing in my life that sacrifices for her, then those are just words. If there's nothing in my life that's really excites me about her and that I want to come home every day to her, then that's just a word. So I could disappear for three months, then come back and say, I love you. Okay? I can uh, knock her around a little bit and, and visit her in the hospital and say, I love you. Okay? I can let her go hungry and starve and be down at the mission and and come and tell her, you know, I love you. But nothing that really I'm doing is what? Really demonstrating that I really care and I love her. When you love somebody, you hold them in high esteem. And you do everything you do. You do everything. And everything you do is for the purpose of making a statement for that person or about that person. Because they're part of you. David makes this statement, this declaration, in 18.1, very simply, he says, I love you. I love you. I love you. And that, from that love, flows many other things in that he begins to recognize about the value and the worthiness of being in love with God. That it was not just a word that he threw out there. But because of that word, many other things begin to show up. And David begins into this relationship that shows him many other facets of God. Many other characteristics of God. And he's able to begin to see God in a different light. Because in his heart he is saying, 
God, I love you. And when you really begin to love someone, you see them in so many different lights. You see their qualities. You see their character. You see their abilities. You see why you really fell in love with them because of all these qualities that they possess. But if you just say you love somebody but don't serve them, you don't see them. So one of the things you see about David in Scripture that he really is a servant of the Lord. Not the best servant, but a servant of the Lord. Go to Proverbs twelve eighteen. before we look at some David's thing. Go to Proverbs 12. And look at verse 18 with me for a moment. Because it's going to just help us out just a little bit to understand. He says in 12.18, he says, Reckless words pierce like a sword. But catch B, the second one. But the tongue of the wise bring what? Bring healing. What you declare about yourself will bring healing to yourself. What you say opens the door for God to work. Now, I'm not saying, boy, you say it, you claim it. (laughs) This is just what Scripture is saying. That, boy, that your words can bring healing. Your words can cause you to look at something differently. But you have to be willing to speak them. Now, go over to 18.21. He says, the tongue has the power of life and death. The, The tongue has the power that you really live life and live it abundantly because of the promises that God has made to you. Or you live life as though you are really dead. And life really has no deep meaning or no real purpose. You're dead. Oh, you breathe, you move. But everything about your life really is just deadness. Deadness. And you're the one that has to speak and believe what God is able to really do. Now, let me share this with you. You're going to either think on your own and believe on your own and try to accomplish things on your own and all that is nothing but a dead-end street. (laughs) Or as scripture says, as a man thinketh, so is he. Now, he says, renew your mind. You can renew your mind and put the things that God has said about you and begin to believe those things that God has said about you and begin to believe what God says you're more than able to do because you have one who will make it possible for you to do those things and to achieve those things in Jesus Christ. 
And Paul says then, I can do all things through Christ who what? Who strengthens me. He understood God would strengthen him to be able to accomplish the things that he has spoken to him. And now Paul now believes and Paul is telling himself he can do. You're the one that has begun to believe. And you're the one that has to really ask yourself, do I really love the Lord? Don't deceive yourself because the heart is deceitfully wicked and who can know it but God. Don't deceive yourself. Look at the evidence in your own life and ask, if you were God, would you want to be treated the way you're treating him? If you were God, would he accept your service? Do you really love him? When David made the statement, I love you, he recognized other attributes about God. That he says, God is my strength. God is my strength. God is my strength. And that flows out of a relationship. And he begins to understand that he is loved. And then because he is loved, he is responding to love. And in that love, he finds strength. In the love that Elaine and I have for each other, we find strength. We find strength to say no to other individuals. She's able to say no to other men. I'm able to say no to other women. We're able to say no. Why? Because of the love we have for each other. It strengthens you. It strengthens you. And David says, I love him. Why? He's my strength. He's the one that causes me to live holy. He's my strength to live holy in an ungodly world. He's my strength. He goes on, he describes it a little further. He said, he's my rock. He's something I can stand on. He's a solid foundation for me. And it's a sure foundation. No matter what I'm doing, I'm on that foundation. It may not happen right now, but because of my faith in Him and the sure hope that I have and who I'm serving and He has placed it in my heart, it will come to pass. He's my rock. I'm building on a solid foundation. And David says, boy, I love him. He's my strength. He's my rock. Then he comes back again. He says, he's my fortress. What's a fortress? It's that thing that's, you can't penetrate it. It's that place that you go into. And boy, you feel safe. You know, in America, we really don't have fortresses. But in India... There's a castle, there's a fortress about the size of Akron, and it got walls all the way around it. And all the people from the outskirts of those walls, whenever 
the enemy would come in to invade that part of India. They would all go into that fortress area. And everything in that fortress had everything they needed to sustain life. And they were safe. He's my fortress. He's the one who sustains this life for me. I love him. I love him. He's my strength. I love him. He's my rock. I love him. He's my fortress. No enemy can defeat me. No enemy can destroy me. Oh, they might encamp around me, but they cannot penetrate my fortress. The living God in whom I am hid in. He says, he's my deliverer. He's my deliverer then. He delivers me from my enemies. And you know the number one thing I think David began to recognize? God delivers me from myself. How many of you really know the true self of yourself? How dangerous you are. How reckless you are. How sinful you are. How destructive you are. And God delivers me from all of that. He delivers me. And I love him for it. And the first thing that come out before all these other things come out, he says, I love you. Yes, you're all these other things to me, and you're all these other things that take place in my life, but I love you. I don't love you because you're my strength. I don't really love you because you're my rock. I don't really love you because, boy, you're my fortune. I don't really love you because you're my deliverer. Yes, all those things come out of that because you love me, but I love you. Would you really love him? If none of these other things came, would you still love him? But because he loves you and who he is, all these other things flow. And he says, boy, you're my God, my rock, my refuge. This is who you are, God. This is who you are. And I want you to know, Lord, I love you for being who you are. For being all these things in my life. Are you experiencing these things in your life? That this is who God is? Are you experiencing him as your strength? Are you experiencing him as your foundation, your rock? Are you experiencing him as your fortress? Are you experiencing him as the one who delivers you? Or do you got to fight your own battles and deliver yourself and save yourself and keep yourself? And he says, you're my God. You're my God. You're my God. And he makes this other one. You're my shield. You're my shield. Now, now understand, people want to hurt you. And people are, are going to hurt you. And people are going to shoot their guns and their arrows at you and they're going to throw their fists at you and they're going to slander your name and they're going to spit on you and, and they're going to do all other things to you. But David says, Lord, 
you're my shield. You're my shield. How many of you understand, if you're really living a Christian life, it's okay to be talked about? That's fine. Because, see, you got your light shining so bright in somebody's eyes that they're cursing you. You're letting your light shine so bright that they're mad at you. You ever go down the road and those bright lights hit you and the first thing you say, dim those lights. You begin to somewhat curse the other person over there with their bright lights on. Well, when you got your light really shining for Christ, other people are going to condemn you. They're going to talk about you. They're going to insult you. And that's good because that's allowing you to know something. You're doing the right thing. You're doing the right thing. And he says, you're my shield. And if you're really living the Christian life, you need a shield in this world today. You really do need it. And he goes on and says, you're my salvation. Oh, thank you, Lord. You're my salvation, Lord. You're my salvation. You're the one that keeps me. And he goes and he says, you're my stronghold. King James uses the word tower. And tower where you could go up high and you could look out over your enemy. But your enemy couldn't do any harm to you. But God allows you to see it. How many of you really see your enemies at times? Because God places you in that tower of safety. And, he, and, and David says, boy, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord of my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise. Listen to what David says. He's worthy of praise. Of all these attributes and all of his characteristics that shines through in my life. He says, God, you're worthy of my praise. Don't ever lose your praise for God. And the world will try to steal it and silence it. You need to understand that. There are those in your own family, when you go around, they won't want you to talk too much about Jesus. They don't want you to say too much about Jesus. They don't want you to sing that song about Jesus. They, 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 they may want you to come, but they really want you to be, when you get there, be quiet. You know, you know. And David simply says, I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. I'm saved from it. You know, when you lose sight of the Lord, you lose value and the significance of who he is in your life. You lose the significancy of his presence in your life. That he doesn't really have a meaning, a deep meaning in your life. You're not spending that time with him. You're not getting enough time with him. Yeah, sometimes we think church is too demanding. Sometimes we think this and that. You'll never find me putting demands on you. If the Holy Spirit don't do it, I don't do it. The Holy Spirit has to do that. The Word of God has to do that. 
I'm not going to demand you to be here every time the door is open. I'll ask you and you'll come because you what? You want to. You want to serve him. Why? He's preeminent in your life. Everything else is secondary. He's first in life. Isn't it strange that the cults demand that when their door is open, you have to be there? See, a lot of these so-called religious things, when they make their demand, they're playing the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit really isn't there anyhow. So they have to put demands on the people. What is surprising to us sometimes is this. Oh, they following some word of man. They're doing what man has to do. The thing is, though, that man knows from their reaction that he has control in their life. Now, understand this here. A pastor does not want control in your life. A pastor wants to see the control of the Holy Spirit in your life. He wants to see the Word of God acting through your life. That's why he teaches the Word of God. He doesn't put it to the side and come up with his own rules and regulations. But it becomes the word of God that is active in your life, that is growing you, that's nurturing you, that's controlling you, that is telling you when to go, when not to go, what to do, when to do. It becomes the word of God through the power of the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And some of us forget the significance of that. Because we're so busy in the world that we give God so little time. And when we give God so little time, we miss developing who he is in our life. And his real importance in our life. Not when I go to heaven, but the significance of having him right now. The value of having his presence with me right now. The value of his presence as I'm going through a trial. The value of his presence when I'm standing there talking with another person. And he's talking to me as I'm talking to another person. His presence. The significance of that. Right now. That we miss his real value, his significance in our lives. And all that he is to you. And all that he can do for you. A lot of us live hard lives because we're trying to make it work. Rather than giving him permission to work for us. For him to do it. And we follow him. Most of us are doing this. Come on Jesus. Come on Jesus. Come on Jesus. Rather than hearing Jesus call us to come. To follow him. We're asking him to follow us. And we lose the significance of him. The real value of him. The real worthiness of him. And we find it hard to praise him and to worship him. Because we have lost that real significance of his value being with us. Now... 
Your declaration reminds you of all that Jesus is to you. His real meaning in your life. For when Paul says, when, when David says, I love you, Lord. Could you imagine all these things begin to just rush through his mind? I love you, Lord. When I say I love Elaine, her value runs through my mind. She's more than a cook. She's more than someone who washes my clothes. She's more than someone who keeps my house neat. She's more than someone who makes me joyful or happy just being with. And sometimes she think I'm not coming. Boy, like she said, we could just go for a ride. Well, in my financial mind, that's a waste of money. We're not going somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) There has to be a purpose to go from point A to point B. (laughs) Gas costs too much just to be out here. (laughs) Don't y'all be like me. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) You know. And the whole process is for valuing. I value her faithfulness. That when I would travel, I never worried about another man sneaking into my house. Boy, that's a high value. You know, I never worried about her misusing whatever we have or possess. I was safe in her hands. Don't matter if I was in another country, another state, gone for a while. I was safe in her heart. That's valuable. That's praiseworthy. And we are not to forget God. But in this life, we do at times forget him. Good thing we have to come to church on Sunday sometime or God just be totally what? Forgotten. Church is a reminder to us of who he is in our life. Church is a reminder to us that we have a God to serve. Church is a reminder to us that we have gifts of the Holy Spirit that we are supposed to be using in order to affect a dying world. Coming to church is a reminder of who we are in Christ. And when we change church around, that the importance, that the word is not important, and the word takes second or third place, we lose that real worthiness and value of coming to church because what we've taken church to do then is come in and have a joyful time and be happy and not hear anything of the Lord that would be convicting. We change church around then. And we use churches like we do a buffet. Which one will we get the most out of? You know, which one am I going to enjoy? Rather than understanding which one would I really grow at in the Lord and in the things of the Lord. We can often forget when we don't have a declaration or something in front of us that reminds us of the value of the one we serve. W.H. Brewster said, Some things you can't say, but you can sing. 
Some things you can't say, but you can sing them. You can sing them. And uh, how many of you ever heard of Roland Hayes? He was a tenor, born in Georgia. But in 1933, Roland Hayes was invited to Berlin, to Germany, to sing at one of their concert halls. And German was all excited about bringing this man over from the United States. But at that time, Hitler was on the uprise. And the Nazis were excited also about this great tenor coming to sing in their concert hall. The only problem was they didn't know he was black. And when this man walked out on the stage and the Nazi party saw that he was an African American or a black man, they started booing and howling and hissing Because for them, a black man didn't have much value. If you understood Hitler's philosophy of Arianism and so forth. And this man had made a declaration some years prior. And he's out on the stage and he's getting all this yelling and booing and criticism. And he just wraps himself in his own arms. And he just shuts his eyes and he stands there. And he gives them two or three minutes just to say and curse or boo or yell, whatever they wanted to say, their insults. And after a few moments of all the noise that was continuing on, he began to sing, O Lord, thy art my peace. Because he had made a declaration that Lord, no matter what audience he was saying for, that it would always be God that would be his peace and that he would always be singing unto the Lord. And he began to sing and the crowd began to quiet. And he was able to complete his concert. But he was singing for the glory of God. And he understood a lot of places would not accept him back in those years. So his peace would always be that God would give him peace. And he just began to sing in that tenor's voice. Oh Lord, thou art my peace. Thou art my peace. Could you sing that with a crowd yelling at you? all type of insults, all the troubleness that could come, 
Could you stand there just wrapped in yourself in a sense? You and God with your eyes shut and have a calmness and a peace that would quiet you on the inside? But when you begin to say it, it would quiet even the loudest crowd. Your declaration means something. It's something that you hold on to and you don't lose. Go over to Psalms 137. This is not David, but this is the Israelites in captivity. And what I want you to look at for a moment is the choices that they make. And they make a choice that hurts them, not their captives. And sometimes you and I, we make choices that hurt us, not the things that are holding us in bondage, not the things that are against us. We're hurting ourselves. In that very first verse, he simply says, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept. That's the choice. That's the choice. You can sit in your sorrows and feel self-pity for yourself. You can sit down and you can cry and you can be there and you can say, Nobody care about me. Nobody loves me. Nobody wants me. And I'm in this captivity. I'm in this circumstances. You can sit there and cry all day long and nobody will offer you a tissue. And it says, Boy, they sat by the banks and they wept. That's a choice. Now understanding, yes, they may have been feeling their guilt. They may, they may at this time be recognized. They're in captivity because of their sin. But you don't just sit all day long weeping, feeling sorry. You bring confession. You begin to pray. You begin to worship. You begin to change your attitude about the one that you have forgotten. Because they have forgotten God long before they went into captivity. You have forgotten. We have forgotten God long before the troubles we see. We've forgotten God long before the messes we wind up in sometime. We've already forgotten them. But now comes a decision that has to be made at some point. What will I do? And it says, we sat there and we wept. When we remember Zion, oh Jesus. But what are you doing after you say, oh Jesus? What are you doing after you say, oh God? See, once you say something, there should be some action. Now what? Follows what you say. And they said, oh, we remember Zion, but what did you do? You still sat there and wept. Then the verse 2, it says, there on the poplars we hung our harps. That's another bad choice. You chose to stop praising the Lord. You chose to stop reading His Word. You chose to stop worshiping Him. You chose to be absent from His presence. You chose not to call upon His name. You made decisions. 
that hurt you. You didn't hurt your captives. You're not hurting that which is holding your bondage. You're not hurting that that's causing you to have all the wrong thoughts. You're hurting you. We're not going to sing his praises. Why? We're in a captive land. We're not going to sing his praises because we're not in Zion. We're not in Jerusalem. We're not going to sing his praises because we're a long way from home. We're not going to worship him. But you need to remind yourself the reason where you are is because you did stop worshiping him. You need to understand you are where you are because you stopped praising him. You need to understand you are where you are because you stopped serving him. You are where you are because you forgot to love God. You forgot that he has to be preeminent. He will not hold second, third place in your life. Just first place. And he says, we sat and we wept their choice. Same choice could be made. Get up and do something. Get up and do. But you have to be willing to get up and do. And he says, boy... In verse 3 he says, For there our captors asked us for songs. Boy, they asked us to sing. No, we didn't hung our harps up. And Peter says, We're pilgrim. We're on a sojourney and through this land. Let me share something with you. Even us as Christians, there's going to be some difficult days that come around now. None of us really know what our new president is going to do. But you need to go back and you need to understand what God says. Boy, he anoints your head in the very presence of your what? Of your enemies. He prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Whoa, if God be for me, who can what? Be against me. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging for bread. I need to go back and talk to myself and say some things to myself and believe God and love Him for what He's going to do. For what He's going to do. Yes, for you that are old, remember what He says in Joshua 13.1 when the Lord comes to Joshua and He says to Joshua, Amos, you're old. Amos, you're very old, but I still have a work for you to do. And he says to Joshua, yes, this is what you are, but this is what I have for you to do. For as long as we have breath, we have something to do. But also never forget this. You're only sojourning through this place. For your citizenship is where? It's in heaven, not here. And the reason you're here is because it's far better for somebody else that you're here than you would be there. Because God has given you life for this new year. And because God's given you life for this new year, God has a purpose for you for this new year. Now, if it's only for a week or a month or six months, praise the Lord all the way through it. 
And if for the full year, praise Him for another year. We praise Him for it. And He says, boy, don't forget, when you stop singing the praises of God, when you stop talking about God, when you stop talking about verses from the Scripture that are meaningful to you, you are forgetting God. You're forgetting God. And it starts oh so subtly. I miss my devotions. I miss the excitement of reading his word. Oh, they ain't going to miss me at church. It's not about us missing you at church. It's about God missing you at church. God says, don't forsake the gathering of yourself. God is the one who keeps the attendance. I don't need to keep an attendance. God keeps it. And he, he says, boy, for our captors asked us for a song. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. Stop there for a moment. They asked us to sing. Why? Why should I sing for my captors? Why should I sing when I'm struggling through life and don't have anything? Why should I sing when my circumstances are sad and difficult? Why should I sing when I'm angry and upset and God, you haven't given me a thing. You haven't helped me, God. You haven't done anything for me lately. Why should I sing? One, I sang because I was asked. I was asked by him to sing his praises, to glorify him. And the psalmist sings his praises. The angels sing his praises. And if the angels can sing his praises constantly, Who am I that cannot be like the angels and sing his praises constantly? I am asked the same. Whether I'm in captivity or out of captivity, whether I'm rich or I'm poor, whether I have or I have not, I sing his praises. Paul says, I know how to be content and to praise my God, whether I'm up here or I'm down here, for he is worthy to be praised. It's not about my circumstances that concludes how I'm going to praise God. I learned to praise Him for who He is and that He's worthy, as David said, to be praised. And what they're looking at is their circumstances. Not understanding that they put themselves in the circumstances where they are at present. And the captives come. And they said, sing us a song. No, no, I'm not singing for you. I'm not in Zion. The only way I've sang the praises of God when I'm in Zion. The only time I praise God is when I'm in church. The only time I praise God is when I'm in that proper place. I done hung up the instruments and I don't have a thing to say. Why should I sing? Why should I sing? I sing because in the singing there's a message. In the singing is a message from the Lord. And I sang even to my captors. 
Remember when Silas and them were in jail, what did they do? They sung. What happened with the bar? They opened. Sang to your captors. When Paul was in Rome in captivity, he spoke and he sang the praises of God to those who would stand guard over him. Sang to them. God's given you a captive audience. Sing to them. Because in the song, there's a message from God. You sing because people need hope. People need healing. People need rest. People need joy. You sing because it brings comfort to the people even. You sing because God reveals his love through music. God reveals his love through music. Remember to the shepherds? God didn't come so much speaking. He came with a song. Praising the one that would be born. We sang because of the joy and the peace. The peace that it gives us. The joy that it gives us. The mindset that it gives us. We sing. And here they are in captivity. Refusing to sing the praises of God. And the captor said, Sing us a song. Our tormentors demand songs of joy, they said. Sing us one of the songs of Zion. And in verse 4, he says, Ha! Let me share something with you. Never allow your feelings to dictate how you're going to praise God. Never allow how you feel dictate how you're going to praise Him. How you're going to worship Him. How you're going to serve Him. Never allow those feelings to be the one that dictates that you're going to sing joyfully unto the Lord, that you're going to sing praises to God, even in your sadness, in your time of misery, in your time of trouble, in your time when you're depressed. Sing to the Lord His praises. Sing to Him and see what takes place. And the captor says, sing. It was something that they should have been doing anyhow. But one of the things that allows you to know when you begin to forget God, you forget to hum his tunes. You forget to sing his little song. How many of you go around during the day in the house just singing little things to the Lord? Giving him mind. While you're doing your work, you're just singing little things to the Lord. And he says, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in foreign lands? Well, we're in a foreign land. We're not welcome in this land. Everything we believe in and the Lord that we serve, people are trying to sweep under the rug. People are trying to silence it. People are saying, go away. You're not welcome in this world. But should that stop you from singing? Should that stop you from praising Him? Should that stop you from serving Him? Should that stop you from preaching about Him, telling others about Him? No! You do it. 
In verse 4, you see their feelings. In verse 5, I call it the wake up. They wake up. And it's important that you come to a place that you wake up. Yes, it's hard to sing with a heavy heart. But if you sing, you'll move the heaviness and you'll discover the lightness and the joy of the Lord. We just need to sing and worship Him. And you need to understand that no one can steal your joy, silence your joy. No one can take away your joy. You can still have joy even in the midst of all your troubles and turmoils. You can have joy. One pastor writes in his book why he was very depressed and he was locked up. He was kept away from his congregation for almost nine months while he was going through his depression and everything. But he said it did not begin to lift until he began to sing and praise the Lord Jesus Christ. He was once the president of one of our theological schools. He is one of the pastors of one of our largest churches and yet found himself totally broken and needing psychiatric help and medication. But understood when he began to praise God and to sing and to recite scripture back to himself, a healing began to take place. He's a professor today over in Ashland Seminary. It's amazing what happens when you begin to remember the thing that you have declared for yourself and you sing the things of the Lord. Not about how you feel or how you felt about what's going on in your life. It's not about that. You don't allow your feelings to guide your actions towards God. But you wake up and you have to begin to say to yourself, I'm not going to forget my God. I'm not going to forget how to praise him. He's worthy to be praised. I'm not going to forget all that he is to me and all that he means to me. I'm not going to forget that he is my strength. I'm not going to forget that he's my high tower. I'm not going to forget that he's my fortress. I'm not going to forget he's my God. I'm not going to forget. And if you notice one thing about that 18, David purposely put something before each one of those attributes about God. He said, mine. My strength. My high tower. My salvation, my God, my refuge, mine, mine. What is it in Scripture that you are saying is yours? This is mine. This is mine. See, what David's describing, his God, I can do the same thing and say, that's mine. That's just not an Old Testament. That's mine today. That's mine. 
He's my strength. He's my fortress. He's my God. He's mine. And I need to remember that. That He's mine. And when they wake up, they understood because for them, catch this now for a moment. Zion and Jerusalem was the place where you had a relationship with the living God. It was in Zion and Jerusalem where you really did true worship and praise. In Jerusalem, in Zion. That's where God was at. That's where you really met with God. To them, that was the very place of God. And where the relationship of God was really developed, right there in Zion, in Jerusalem. It was important for them. And they're out of it. And they're saying to themselves, how can we praise Him in a foreign land? We're not in Zion. We're not in church. We're not among a bunch of believers. I don't care if you're by yourself. You can praise Him. Go to Psalms 132 because, boy, the whole thing is... If I forget, when you get into verse 5, if I forget old Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. What are they talking about? The skill of the harps that they have hung on the trees, the instruments that they had hung, those instruments that they had put down, that their hands were forgetting. If I forget Jerusalem, may my right hand forget this, how to play, how to do this. And he goes on and he says, boy, may my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my higher joy, that the real place of joy was where at? In Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. Go to 132 real quick. Because to catch that meaning that this is the place where I meet with God. This is the place where I have relationship. This is the place where I praise Him and worship Him. It says... Pick up with me in verse 10. For the sake of David, your servant, do not reject your anointed one. Do not what? Reject the anointed one. The Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath that he will not revoke. One of your own descendants I will place on your throne. If your son keep my covenant and the statutes I teach, then, then their sons will sit on your throne. Forever and ever. For how long? Forever and ever and ever. Continuous. For the Lord has chosen what? Zion. He has desired it for his what? His dwelling. This is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned. I will have desired it. And God is saying, my throne, all that I am, sits here in Jerusalem. The relationship for the Jews was in this area of Jerusalem with God. With God. That's where the relationship is. Our relationship is in Jesus Christ. In God. And when we begin to forget Him and lose Him and forget to praise Him, we're losing that relationship. Go back to Revelations with me. Revelations 21.10 first. Revelations 
Because you don't want to lose this area and this relationship. He says in 21.10, he simply says, And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain, great and high, and showed me the holy city. What? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Why? That's God's dwelling place. That's where God sets his throne. That's where God will sit. That's where the Son of God will sit. Showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And go ahead over to uh, uh, Revelation 22. And go to verse 13. Revelation 22 and verse 13. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I am. And the thing is that here he comes down. And where is he going to sit? Jerusalem. What are the Jews looking for? This one in Jerusalem. He's going to be there in Jerusalem. Now, look at verse 3 in that 22. He says, I am. But look what he says in that verse 3. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be where? In the city. What city? The city of Jerusalem. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. And the servants will serve him. And everything is right there in Jerusalem. And their thing is, well, how can we sing, understand people? When you're at work and you're singing the praises of God, somebody else is listening. When you're going through the marketplace and you're humming amazing grace or you're just singing it softly to yourself, somebody else is hearing it. When you sing the praises of God or you quote scripture to yourself, somebody else is hearing it. And God uses it because it's a message being sent. It's a message being sent. It's not about your captivity. It's not about you and the trouble you're going through. It's about him. And will your declaration be about him? Will be something about him that the moment you think about it, it takes you to all the other attributes of what he has done for you and who he is significantly in your life. Don't be like the Jews in Babylon. We can't praise him. We're just going to sit on the riverbanks and we're going to just weep and cry over our troubles. Get up. Wake up. Remember your relationship with your Savior. Begin to praise Him and worship Him. Begin to do and see what takes place. See what takes place. My brother's teaching me so much. 
in this whole process he's going through. One of the things that he's teaching me is okay to be in the will of God. Because on the phone, and sometime in his worst moments, I'll ask him, Richard, how are you doing? I'm okay. And he was constantly saying, okay, but you've fallen. You're, and, and things are happening. And, but you're okay. And I said, and I asked him, explain to me what your okay means. He says, I'm okay because I'm in the will of God because God knows what's going on in my life. And this is God's will for me at this very moment and I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. Because this is God's will. I'm in His hands. And I'm okay. Even if I'm fallen, I'm okay. Because God knew I was going to fall. God hasn't forgotten me. I'm okay. Boy, that taught me a powerful little lesson. I'm okay. And that God is more than able. He says, whether if I go home to be with the Lord, I'm okay with that. Or if I stay here, I'm okay. I'm okay. Teaching moments, learning moments, things that take place, and just praising Him. When I led my brother to the Lord at Akron General, when he was dying of cancer, my brother Leonard. Leonard taught me so much because. After Leonard accepted the Lord, we never heard another complaint. And Leonard just said, I want to go home and die. I don't want to die in the hospital. I don't want to die at hospice. I want to go home and die. And we took him home. The nurse, those who come by to see him, they said he never complained. just as quiet. Something changed about Leonard. Just as quiet as could be. Your declaration reminds you of your true joy. Listen again at what they say and the real meaning of Jerusalem for them. For they said, Boy, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest what? My highest joy. My highest joy. Sing about your highest joy. Because in your highest joy, there's the message of God when you sing it. Sing His praises all year long. In time of sorrow and sickness and hardships and sadness, sing his praises. Don't forget him for one moment. Don't forget him for one moment. In 2017, whatever your declaration is going to be, make it in such a way that it reminds you of the attributes of God and the worthiness of God in your life. 
But at the moment you say that statement, there's a joy that fills you. There's a peace that fills you. There's a comfort that fills you over that declaration. Amen? Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. And thank you, Lord, that you show us even when we're in difficult situations and we're in a foreign land and we even have maybe this thing of hopelessness, that, Lord, if we begin to praise your holy name and worship you and we make the declaration that, Lord, I love you, it changes our whole attitude. It changes our whole position. If we say it meaningfully, I love you, Lord, that we can really begin to recognize that it is the Lord that causes me to run towards my problems and solve my problems. It is the Lord that takes care of my problems. I'm not running away from them. I'm running at them because he's my strength. He's the one that allows me to leap over the walls, no matter what age I am. He's the one that gives me strength in my knees to jump and to do and to overcome. That it is my God that is able. Lord, we look to you. And we thank you, Lord, that as we begin a new year, we don't know we'll finish this year. But, Lord, we're in this race. And while we're in this race, help us to run, to run faithfully for you. To run, Lord, knowing that, Lord, our run is valuable to you. And that, Lord, you'll give us the strength to run it. You'll give us the strength to do it. Yes, we're going to complain about hands aching, knees aching, back aching, this happening and that happening. But Lord, give us the ability to believe that, Lord, you are our strength. You're the one who enables us to perform and to do. You're the one, oh God, who has kept us from the womb of our mother until our hair is gray upon our heads, that, Lord, you're the one who is keeping us, have kept us, and will continue, O God, to watch over us. Help us in 2017, O God, to believe you for your utmost. Help us to believe that, O God, yet greater things shall we do. Help us to believe that, Lord, you're not finished with us yet. That, Lord, as long as two or three of us are willing to praise your name, you got a valuable work for us to do. Help us to believe that, Lord, you desire to use us to speak to our unsaved relatives, to our unsaved neighbors, to our unsaved co-workers, to people that, Lord, you give us opportunity to share with. That, Lord, you still want to use us and sharpen us, O God. That we'll be ready in season, out of season, always ready to have a message to speak on your behalf. Lord, help us, O God, that whatever our hands find to do, Lord, we won't complain about it. Lord, we'll do it, O God. We'll give it our best effort, O God. Because, Lord, we know what is not possible with man is possible with you. And that, Lord, we can say we can't do that no more. But, Lord, give us the desire to perform and to do and see what you will do. Oh, God, may you be the God that is our strength in 2017. 
and use us for your glory. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for Akron Alliance Fellowship. We're not thousands of people. We're not hundreds of people. And Lord, you've always done great things through small groups. May you continue to do great things through this little church. May it be a bright light in Akron. May the people, oh God, who come through here, may they grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. May those who remain desire, O oh God, to roll up their sleeves and work for you and labor for you. And that, Lord, that as long as they have breath, that, Lord, they're willing to praise you. Lord, use us, Lord, in these latter days to glorify you. Let us not sit on the banks of life weeping and feeling self-pity and feeling sorry for our condition or our shape or our ailments or this or that. But may we say, oh God, we love you. And because we love you, Lord, we're going to perform for your glory. Lord, may you use us, I pray. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.